Hi, I'm Len Vermillion, Editorial Director with Heart Energy, and it is my pleasure to be here today with Sandy Esselmont. He's recently been appointed President and CEO of Parker Drilling. Sandy, thanks for coming by today. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. First, I want to congratulate you on your appointment. Uh, you know, it's a big step for you. You're a 37-year veteran of the industry, so you certainly know what you're doing. Can you tell us why you wanted to join Parker, and uh, what did you see in the company that you wanted to be part of that? Well, I've been, uh, I've been in the drilling and technology sector uh, mm -hmm. all my 37-year career. And uh, I started off as a drilling engineer with Shell mm -hmm. and then moved into the service sector. I've been with the service sector ever since. So what I saw in Parker was a, not just a drilling contractor, but a drilling contractor that had a significant services business as well, mm -hmm. a downhole and uh, on surface. So that was, that was a perfect storm for me, and I saw Parker as being uh, uh, somewhere where I could bring all of my, all of my skills. Uh, I've been an executive for the last 20 years, so it seemed like uh, an excellent opportunity for me. Well, good. So speaking of the future, um, what is your initial vision for the company as you take over the reins here? Well, I joined Parker at the end of March, uh, uh, just as they were closing the office right. and the world was going into a tailspin. So uh, the ideas I had prior to joining, uh, uh, some of them have been parked to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. uh, but I spent the last three to six months working with the management team and the board to develop a new growth strategy going forward. Uh, we have some pretty lofty goals in mm -hmm. Parker over the next five years. Uh, they may be in a holding pattern uh, mm -hmm. in 2021, but uh, I, see, uh, I, I see the ability for us to reorganize into a much more nimble organization to take mm -hmm. advantage of what we think is going to be an upturn 2022 thereafter. Well, I want to talk about that optimism, but before we do that, uh, you've been around for a long time. Have you seen anything like this, especially with the service sector? at this point? Uh, <clears throat> that's, that's, that's a tough one. I don't think, I think the last time that I observed this kind of meltdown was in the 80s, yeah. 86. Uh, I was a young engineer with Shell at that point, <laughs> so I just looked on aghast uh, at that time at what was happening. Uh, there was one thing that Churchill said that has stuck with me my entire career. I hope I'm allowed to oh, say this on, uh, <laughs> sure. on camera. Was that somebody asked him, what, 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 is, what, what is history? Mm -hmm. And his comment was, well, it's just one damn thing after the other. <laughs> I always take a pragmatic view on whatever is going on at the time, right? So uh, I tend to be an optimist, and I've gone through several cycles in this 37 years. This is definitely uh, the hardest, the toughest, right. the most difficult to, to navigate for sure. But it's just another one of these damn things that happens in history. So I'm, I'm fairly confident that we will get through it. You mentioned 2022 and there's some reason for optimism. What do you feel the industry should be optimistic about in 2022? Well, I think we, we, uh, we're seeing unprecedented demand destruction and, uh, uh, through COVID. And that, that started to come back to a certain extent. And, and it, it's been interesting because even when the world was at a standstill during COVID, we still consumed 70, billion, 70 million barrels of oil a day, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of a baseline. Uh, 
So, so to get back, we to get back to previous levels pre-COVID, that's going to take that's going to take some time. Uh, lots of operators are going into 2021 already, not seeing a vaccine, not seeing anything that would necessarily drive that demand curve back up. So we see 2021 as being a cautious year, but uh, on the basis that we can have a vaccine for COVID in the kind of the first half of 2021, and then there's that pent up demand coming back. We think 2022 and through 2025 will be good years for, for our business. So what's involved with positioning? Obviously we gotta get through to that point. So I get know, through to that point. how do you carve out your, your place here? Well, we're using this, uh, <clears throat> call it quiet period, period of reflection. Mm-hmm. We're using this period uh, where we have, you know, we have lots of rigs that are on standby or warm stacked or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever uh, to reevaluate how we do business. And uh, one, one of the opportunities I see with Parker is if we can reorganize ourselves into more of a geomarket organization where we are very close to the customers in each of the main basins mm. in the world, rather than being a Houston-driven product, product line company, then I think by getting closer to these customers, and we have several around the world who are you know, fantastic customers for us, uh, then we'll be able to grow by, by, by being more aggressive in those particular mm. arenas. And then there's a couple of arenas that we've never played in, like Asia Pacific or even North Sea, where our particular brand of doing things is exactly what customers are looking for. Well, to follow on that, how do you get closer to those areas? Is that, are we talking like an expansion or? or when uh, not so much an expansion, but a kind of a, re, a retooling okay. uh, in that we have more uh, business development and technical sales professionals close to the customer in these regions. Okay, I see. So rather than kind of puppeteering this thing from, from Houston, we're going to have uh, various centers around the world okay. that will be able to be in the same time zone, mm-hmm. uh, even to the extent of speaking the same language with these right. customers. Makes sense. So what about technology? We're always interested in that. I've heard a lot about how technology will play a a role in really helping service companies and innovation, I guess. When I say technology, I'm talking innovation. Are you putting money into that or any kind of effort? I shouldn't say money. (laughs) There's not a lot of money to put into anything these days. There's definitely a a healthy caution. Not ask a CEO about money. uh, we'll, we'll go, but I'm, but to go back to the question, um, you know, how, how, what kind of role will innovation play in getting us through all this? Well, I think innovation will play a play a huge role. If you, if you, if you remember, before we always we were concerned about the great ch- crew change, mm-hmm. where we were going to run out of people, and then we were concerned about we were going to run mm-hmm. out of oil. Now I see it that the peak oil is more like peak peak demand. Peak supply is more peak demand. And we're not going to run out of people. We are going to have people just simply leaving because the industry itself has to innovate in the areas of automation and digitization. Mm-hmm. And I know these are lofty words, but at the end of the day, we need to be smarter the way we do things. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about at the, at the coal face or at the drill face, right? Uh, I'm talking about the way we do things even in, in uh, uh, our organization. We need ways of automating our processes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was appalled the other day there when I, when, I, uh, when I heard that we actually have a room dedicated in Houston to writing checks. 
Wow. Right? Uh, it has to be secure and, and, mm -hmm. and all the rest of it. And, and uh, I know that in, uh, 20 years ago when I was in Norway, they banned checks. They just mm -hmm. banned them overnight. So moving to electronic forms of communication, mm -hmm. paperless office, uh, ro robots, and AI and everything we do is, is going to be important. So do you, uh, what, what other, well, you kind of mentioned digitalization. Are there any other specific technology trends just from an industry point of view? Yeah, I think look, we, we generate a ton of data mm -hmm. every day. Data. Yes. Right. <laughs> and there's, there's always that risk of data overload. Mm -hmm. uh, so data mining and, and data science, actually. There's a, whole, there's a whole world out there of data scientists that are able to, not necessarily discipline guys, but they're able to look at uh, fields of data and draw conclusions using mm -hmm. certain algorithms or whatever. We generate a ton of data in Parker every day from rigs and operations and drilling data and whatever. So we see the next leap forward for us in our real-time operating center is to analyze that and kind of try and turn that back into that feed loop uh, feedback loop as quickly as possible to kind of capture lessons learned on a, on a, uh, 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 on a near real-time basis. Okay. And then, of course, the, the other big one for us is, is multi-skilling, right? And uh, as we all understand that uh, uh, people are, are bringing people in this industry is uh, a challenge. And also, from a safety aspect, there's, there's clearly drives from the operators to reduce uh, uh, incidents and, and accidents, mm -hmm. whatever, we see the possibility for auto more automation okay. in that particular area. So that, this, that's the areas we're focusing on, yeah. automation and, and digitization. Okay. Um, throughout this year, I, you know, we've heard a lot about where the next opportunities will be for companies. You know, if production is pulled back, will service companies have opportunities in the shell basins where they'd have to go overseas? Where, where is the business opportunity in the future, do you think? Uh, well, we're quite lucky, Parker, in that some 75, 80% of our business is international. Mm. Uh, we do see opportunities here in the U.S., specific opportunities here in the U.S., uh, on the services side of things and on the uh, equipment rental. But we're, we're, we're very much focused on, in the international arena. That's where mm. Parker, has kind of, right. uh, Parker has kind of made its name. So opportunities uh, uh, for that uh, uh, overseas, as I said before, are in a couple of basins that we're not in today. Mm -hmm. But we also want to be proactive on geothermal. Mm -hmm. And we want to be proactive in well abandonment, two areas that we haven't focused on uh, up to date. It's been very much on the drilling and the well construction okay. side of things. So and if, you look at, if you look at the whole environmental aspect, geothermal, obviously, clean energy, but they mm -hmm. still need wells. And uh, so we're looking at partnerships in that area. And then there's the well abandonment, which is obviously reducing the likelihood of, of leaking oil wells and whatever. Right. So. so we also hear a lot about ESG these days and going forward. So I'll ask you in, in two parts, really. What, what's Parker doing in that regard, and how do you help your, the operators you work with meet their needs for ESG as a service company? Yeah, uh, ESG has, has gained a significant uh, prominence in, in Parker, uh, specifically since I, I came on board. Mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, you know, I believe that climate change is, is you know, the biggest existential threat that we have face, facing mm -hmm. us. Uh, what, what Parker needs to do is what it can 
in the process of, of doing the right thing. Uh, our customers are, are demanding it to a certain extent, but irrespective of whether they demand it or not, we want to kind of chart our own course. Uh, so I have set up an ESG task force in the company. Mm -hmm. And uh, from a pragmatic perspective, again, what we're going to do is we're going to take 2019 as a baseline, mm -hmm. and we're going to look, look to improve and reduce our emissions every year going forward, and then be able to show that to our customers and okay. demonstrate that by, by working with Parker, you, uh, you're, you're helping your own organization in terms of uh, reducing emissions and whatever. Okay, great. So, and then finally, I want to ask you, uh, the oil and gas industry as a whole, um, you know, we hear about fossil fuels and so where, where, where do you think it fits in the future energy mix? Do you think it's a big part still? Well, we, we, have, we have kept the lights on for <laughs> umpteen decades. Mm -hmm. uh, we will continue to do that. We must continue to do that through what is inevitably a transition to mm -hmm. cleaner fuels. The question is how, how fast uh, uh, is that going to happen? If you listen to the politicians, it's going to happen tomorrow. Right. Uh, I think pragmatically, again, I've read that you know even in 2050, we will probably still represent 50% of the energy mix. And the world will have grown significantly by then, and there will be a lot more demand. So I think we have, to, we've had we have a duty to play a significant role in that mm -hmm. transition. We have to participate. We have to participate. Mm -hmm. But we have to do it and, 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 and do the right thing along the way. And I think there's a, there's, a, you know, there's a rosy future for those that can play in that type of environment and gra grasp the nettle, if you like, mm -hmm. and, uh, and take part in the, in the energy transition. And that's something that we at Parker aim to do. I'm sure everybody would like to hear that, and I'm, I hope you will. I'm <laughs> sure you will. I'm sure we will. So, Sandy, thank you for coming over and joining us today. Um, we look forward to talking with you and Parker a lot more. Thank you. My pleasure.